I'm Angela Kelly Robeck, host of the Empowered Principal Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make like earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Keith Zinzer. He's a life coach and is the founder of Power Shift Coaching. He helps teens and adults find their true north. What an awesome talk. So much to learn and think about. Thanks for listening. Oh, by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you went into my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and went in there and rated and reviewed the podcast. Could you do that for me, please? That would be so nice. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. So uh, take a look. Go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors. Find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Keith Sensor helps teens find their true north and follow it through their words and actions to create a more loving, accepting, responsible, and committed adult who has the power to ensure their future success and heal our world. He truly believes this is his purpose and calling. He had wished that life coaching was something that was accessible when you know, he was growing up. He was bullied as a teen and to this day believes that he had ADHD, which went undiagnosed. This had a tremendous impact on his academic success and in turn his self-confidence. He struggled to make new friends and was viewed as a snob because he was so shy. His insecurities kept him from connecting with people and recognizing social cues that he should have responded to differently. He has two children, one with ADHD and one with generalized anxiety disorder. Nurturing them along with his amazing wife, he taught them to be confident, responsible, empathetic, and loving human beings. He woke up one day and realized that he had a bigger purpose than himself. He sold his successful catering business and he got his coaching certification. Since 2014, he has dedicated his life to helping teens become the best version of themselves and teaching them to be our future leaders with a goal to heal our world. Keith, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hey, Steve, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Well, I'm 
Glad to have you here, Keith. And uh, and let's start with this. You had a successful catering business that you sold. I mean, what made you good at catering? So when I uh, like as as I you know you kind of alluded to in the introduction, I struggled in school. You know, my grades were not great. Uh, but you know, my parents were always like, "Oh, you, you know, you have a good personality. You're good with people," which was funny because I, I always felt myself being, being very shy and introverted. But they were like, "You should do something people related." So, you know, what about the hotel business? And I'm like, "Okay." And I actually started out. I went to school for hotel restaurant management, culinary arts, and uh, I started out in the hotel field. And after 9/11, because uh, I was in Manhattan, you know, the the hotel business in the city just dropped. And, uh, I can imagine. You know, I mean, I was lucky. I didn't, I, I didn't get laid off, but a lot of the managers were. So we ended up working, you know, we had nine hotels, nine properties in Manhattan at the time. And it was just running all over and working crazy hours. And I said, this is, this is too much. And, uh, I had somebody come to me and say they, they had a, a catering business. They were looking for a partner. And I'm like, well, I can do this myself. Like I will work these hours myself. So I went and bought a catering hall, uh, grew it. We ended up with two of them in an off-premise catering business. And that's really how I got into it. It was really just, you know, but it never was something I really wanted to do. It was just, I was good at it. I was successful at it, but I don't think I ever woke up in the morning and said, oh, I can't wait to go to work. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was what I did. Very cool. Gotcha. You did, but I guess, uh, you know, you must've run it. I mean, the catering business, all the caterers I've ever used. I mean, you have to be a little creative and work with, you have to be able to work with all kinds of <laughs> different personalities. I would think out here in New York on the Island. But, uh, <laughs> but no. yeah, we, I mean, I had a very successful business and you know what? I enjoyed it. It wasn't that I didn't like what I did. It's just, you know, it never was really a passion. It was just, it was something I was good at. I, I made very good money. I supported my family. So, you know, of course, I think, I think this speaks to probably most people, right? We, a lot of us are in a job that we're good at, but it doesn't mean we love it. And then one day we wake up and realize, I, I can't believe I did that for 30, 40 years, right? So <laughs> I don't want to be that person anymore. I got you. That makes sense. And, it, and and so let's talk about, I mean, why'd you feel called to help others and hence give up the catering? I mean, there, that had to be a, I mean, that's kind of to go from, you're making money over here, you got this happening, you got good things happening, and then you go, yeah, I think I'm going to push that aside and I'm going to do something that, uh, who knows? <laughs> well, it's so... During, during my tenure, you know, with, with, with the company, with my partner, you know, I, I had always thought about going back to school, possibly getting my master's in social work. And I've been thinking, I've been toying with the idea in general. And, uh, to be honest with you, just divergence of, of, uh, ideals, me and my partner, just, we're not seeing eye to eye anymore. And I'm like, you know what, this is a sign. Maybe it's time for me to, to move on. So I, I decided I'm leaving and I, I sold my shares and got out. Um, but I had already been in the middle of getting my coaching certification when I sold it. And uh, so, you know, it was just something that needed to happen. I needed to get out. I, I just knew I don't want to do this anymore. I was working 80, 90 hours a week, you know, never my family. And I was like, I'm done. So, you know, that was kind of the catalyst. Sometimes something has to happen to kind of kick you into, into high gear. And I realized, okay, I, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And that was it. I sold it. I, you know, completed my coaching certification and I started, you know, marketing myself and trying to trying to get involved with organizations and people that support teens so I can, you know, get involved as well and, you know, create a difference and make impact. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I think is interesting is that, uh, um, you know, when we, we make a leap like that, you got to have support. You got to kind of have this um, somewhere, somewhere, you got to have something going on in you that, that says uh, this is the right thing. I mean, what, what was that to you? I mean, what, what helped you make that leap? 
Well, I, I definitely knew it was the right thing because it just, I knew it, it resonated with me. Like it was just in, in my soul. I'm like, this is what I need to do. So that, that was definitely the catalyst to go and do it. You know, I have a supportive wife. She's an educator. She, she runs a school for autism, 200 kids. So, you know, I'm very involved. I was also very involved in special ed. I was a parent member in the district. So like I, I'd always been involved in education in the school districts and, you know, so that, that, that definitely added to my passion for it. But, uh, I think to, to answer your question, you know, it was more, it, it was more just recognizing that uh, I need to do this. And I was working part-time, I, being in the business, catering, you know, everybody, you know, every entertainer. Every, so I, I was working for an entertainment company as well to make some money on the side. And I was kind of utilizing my, my skills while I was growing my business to, uh, you know, support me. So I had a lot of other ways to bring in money while I was doing this. Um, really what happened is after COVID hit, and the entertainment business went bust for everybody. That's when I'm like, well, here we go. I'm going to do this full time now because there's, there's no more entertainment. And, uh, and that, that's really what happened. I ended up working on growing my practice. I also work for a healthcare company as an independent contractor, um, which is actually quite honestly, I work with adults, which is pretty funny. So, hmm. but on mental health and, uh, that allowed me the freedom to really just focus on my practice and really growing this and doing what I want to do with teens. Very cool. Very cool. So, so let's, let's shift into what, uh, <laughs> didn't mean to use the word shift because it fits, but it's all is good. I mean, but let's, let's move into your business, which is power shift coaching. Uh, what's its overall purpose and, uh, let's go from there. Sure. So, you know, the overall purpose is, is like I said, I'm really trying to help teens find their true North and, you know, help them develop to be the best versions of themselves. So they can go out there and, you know, honestly heal our world. I mean, you see what's going on in this country. It doesn't matter how you feel politically, but it's just not good either way. And, you know, we need these kids to go out there and, you know, make a positive difference and understand other people's viewpoints and understand, you know, we don't, it's okay to agree to disagree, you know, and find common ground. And I feel like youth is the way to get this done, you know, kind of fix what we've broken, hate to say it, but that's <laughs> truly how I feel. Um, my ultimate purpose and, you know, down the road, what I really, really want to do is I want to turn this into a non-for-profit and I want to take the work to the inner cities and I want to connect with inner city leaders, you know, who can deliver this work. And I want to be able to train them on how to deliver it and get corporations to sponsor, you know, these workshops, um, as well as possibly sponsor college scholarships. You know, I, I always say that there's Harvard graduates living in the projects, but they're never going to get to Harvard if nobody's out there trying to find out where they are and how to help them get there. So that's my, that's my big hairy audacious goal that I want to get to eventually. Nice. But, uh, you know, but listen, it takes with any business, you know, I need, you need to, you need to start somewhere. And, you know, as I scale, you know, um, hopefully, you know, my goal is to spend all my time on this non-for-profit and really making that happen. Cause I think that's how we're going to make impact. Very cool. I, you know, and you've mentioned this, that, uh, you know, your focus is, is really teens, but you also work with adults. I, what does, this is going to sound dumb, but <laughs> I got to ask I mean, what's the biggest difference in working between the two, you know, the age brackets there? Honestly, I mean, it's, 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 it's going to sound funny, but the truth is teens are much more malleable. They're much easier to coach because they don't have the deep, deep rooted belief systems or, you know, resentments that we as adults have, you know, like we, you know, like I might be coaching an adult around, you know, their marriage, right? Some struggles or some communication issues, but a lot of that stems from resentment for, you know, 20 years of marriage. Right. And, you know, you can recognize that and deal with it. You know, it's very hard to get somebody to change 
when they're so set in their ways. Teens are so open to learning and to wanting to be better and want, wanting to improve. So, you know, it's a lot easier to work with teens than it is adults, believe it or not. That's, that's cool. I was, I was kind of wondering that because that's because uh, with adults, you know, you're going to have to play. I would think to some point you're going to have to get them through whatever game they might play with you at first, which is, uh, yeah, 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 I'm here because somebody told me I should be here or I'm, you know, whatever. You're not going to get through this, you know, <laughs> knock the chip off my shoulder or whatever. Go ahead and try it. And, 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 and even not negative things. I mean, but just they're adults with baggage and, yeah, we all have baggage. Well, that's yeah. the beauty of coaching. You know, it's all about asking questions. So, you know, when you get that adult who's, you know, coming at you with that, you know, I'm usually just like, um, you know, I'm, I have no judgments here. Like, what, what do you think? You know, like I just, I just reflect it back to them, you know, which they usually hate if they're really struggling with something, <laughs> but eventually they get it. So, right. but, uh, but adults are great too. I mean, like, it, listen, you know, it's like anything, right? I mean, I do get kids that come to coaching and they're, my mom made me do this, you know, but <laughs> to be honest with you, I really won't take on a client unless I speak to the kid first and I know that they're invested in, you know, what we're going to do together. Because the truth is, you know, obviously I do this to make a living, but I'm really doing it to make a difference. And if I have a kid who's not really going to engage and doesn't want to, and isn't ready for me to go ahead and, you know, take money from the parent, knowing that this is not going to benefit their child at the moment is, is silly. You know, I'd rather say to the parent, look, they're not ready. I'm here when they're ready. And, you know, do it at the right time because if they're ready, they're going to change. If they're not ready, it doesn't matter what I say. They're not. They're not going to do anything. It, it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's you're right. It's uh, they have to be ready. They have to be ready to, and willing to listen. At least listen. You know, it's, I can I'll imagine what it's like for people who do marriage counseling, um, especially with someone who is. They say they're trying, but they're not, and so the only re- real reason why they're there is because for some reason the other, you know, the other spouse had enough control over them to say, you'll be there. <laughs> right. It's true. And usually, you know, in marriage counseling, usually what usually comes out is it's, it's really, you know, it's really about the person. It, it's not so much about the relationship as it is about each individual person and their, what they're bringing or what they're carrying with them that they bring to the relationship, you know, like marriage counseling is great for healing a marriage, but you know, if you can't heal yourself first, you know, you kind of need a little of both. So good counsel is going to recognize that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, you know, let's talk a little bit about this. I mean, what do you like best about what you're doing through Power Shift Coaching? You know, I, I just, I love the kids. I really do. I love, I love watching the changes they make. I love watch. I love the questions they ask. Um, I love the, the stories they share. I mean, I can, you know, I mean, I always if we have time, I'll share a great story. I mean, it's one of my favorite stories. I, I was doing a workshop once and we, we were talking about assumptions and uh, just about how, you know, how it, you can't assume things. You should always, you know, ask questions first. And I had about 10 kids in this workshop. They were all high school juniors and seniors. And it was probably about, I want to say it was like four girls and six boys. And one of these girls was, I mean, absolutely, absolutely drop dead, gorgeous, stunning. It's just a beautiful girl and sweet, just a sweet girl. Right. And one of the boys in the class, you know, I hate to sound stereotypical, but like, you know, kind of, kind of, he, he, he described himself as like really dorky and geeky, you know, which, and I'm always about labels. I'm like, don't use words like that. Like, that's not what you are, but this is how he viewed himself. And we were talking about assumptions. So I don't remember how it came up, but I asked the question, how many people here have been in a relationship? Right. And a few people didn't raise his hand, but he didn't and needed to this girl. And he blurts out, how do you not have a boyfriend? And 
she said, well, nobody talks to me. Huh. And once we started talking about it, you know, and getting into it, you know, I asked her, well, what do you mean nobody talks to you? You know, this girl was so pretty that all the other girls were, they don't want to be friends with her, you know, because no, who's going to, they want to, everybody wants to talk to the pretty girl. Right. So <laughs> this girl had no friends. She really had no friends. She, nobody came up to her. The boys were intimidated by her. The girls kind of shunned her, you know, because, because of that. So, you know, here we, we look at this beautiful girl and think, Oh my God, she's got the best life. She's probably got, you know, tons of friends and tons of boyfriends. And, and no, she had, she was absolutely lonely and sad about it. And, uh, and she talked about it, you know, she, she spoke about this in the workshop and I looked at the boy and I said, now that you know this, would you, would you ever ask a girl like that out? And he says, I guess I would. And I looked at her, I said, if he asked you out, would you go out with him? She's like, yeah, I probably would. And they ended up actually dating for like three months. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so it was a pretty cool story. But the idea about the assumption was like, you know, everybody just looked at this girl and thought because she's so pretty that, you know, everything must be fine. But the truth is her, her beauty has actually isolated her. That's you know? interesting. So it's really interesting about assumptions, how we make assumptions about people, but we really don't know. And unless you ask questions, you don't find out. So I always found that, but those types of stories, I have so many stories like that, but those, those types of scenarios and like helping kids recognize what they're saying and what they're thinking and how they're feeling and being able to kind of coach them through it. It's, it's amazing to watch when the light bulb goes off and they realize, you know, it's, it's not what they think. That's cool. That's, uh, yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> just a note that's, uh, I think that's something that we all carry with us just down the road as well. You just, <laughs> you have to, uh, at some point, uh, step beyond that comfort zone or beyond your expectations of what you think or your fears or whatever that, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, in her case and in his case, you know, he's worried that he's going to be seen as this dorky, geeky guy. And, uh, and you know, why, why is anybody going to talk with me? <laughs> yeah. I always say geeks rule the world right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. You know, um, what are some of the greatest challenges that you're you're helping some of your recent teens deal with or address? I mean, what do you what do you see as something common right now? To be honest with you, I, I, I you know, I hate to say this, but it's the truth. And I, I think a lot of your listeners will probably agree. The biggest struggle I have with the teens, it's it's really it's the parents. It's not the teens. <laughs> you know, it's you know, like, for example, I do a lot with executive functioning. And there were just some kids that want to listen to music while they study. They need it, especially kids with ADHD. It helps them focus, right? Or some kids just need to lay on their bed when they're on Zoom class, sitting at a desk. They can't, you know, it doesn't, like they need the right environment. And, you know, when you, when you tell this to parents and you're trying to create the environment, you know, a lot of times you get a lot of pushback, you know, or this isn't right or this is the way to do it. You know, I, I, I don't agree with this, you know. So me having to kind of walk that fine line and, and say, look, I, I hear you, but, understand like, this is why you hired me. Like I'm not making this stuff up. This is, this works, right? Give it, give it a chance. Let me try it. If it doesn't work, we don't have to do it. But, and you know, most of the time they'll acquiesce and they'll, they'll let me do it. And, and the kid, they're like, Oh yeah, you were right. You know, but I think that's the hardest thing sometimes or, or parents want to control the conversation. You know, like I'll, I'll, I'll have a conversation with a parent and tell them that your teen wants to talk to you. They don't know how to approach you. So they're going to come speak to you this week. And this is what they're going to say. And I need you to just listen and validate their feelings you know, and just hear them, you know, they don't, they're not looking for advice. They just want to be heard. Just let them speak. And over time, this will lead to a healthy conversation where you can, you know, find a way to connect with them better around that topic. And, you know, the parent, well, we just don't do that in this app. I'm like, I, I understand, but like, this is the issue. Your team wants to talk to you. They're afraid to talk to you. You've got to create a sacred space for them to feel comfortable coming to you. And then, you know, so I deal with a lot of that, or like, you know, those helicopter parents who are 
you know, they, they want me to do it this way. And I'm like, but that's not, I, I can't do it that way. I don't believe that's the right way to do it. I'm not going to do something that I don't, that I don't believe in. So does that answer your question? Because I think, oh, yeah. I, think that's common. I mean, educators, I, you know, I should deal with this all the time. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting what you're talking about. And just simply from, you know, it's, it, and some of it is, uh, you know, going back to some of those preconceived notions and stuff like that, like you talked about with the young gentleman and, and young lady, the uh, same thing happens, I think, with kids and their parents. Um, you're just going to get mad at me. So they end up, you know, opening up to a teacher at school or to somebody else. And, uh, but they, uh, um, yeah, they, they, they might interpret past behaviors to be something, and it, just the types of things you have to get through there. But, oh, yeah, you end up running into lots of that type of stuff. And it's just like when, uh, you know, someone comes to you as a principal and says, uh, I'm trying to make a decision about going away to school, and uh, they don't want me to go away. And can you talk for me? <laughs> That's, you know, that's another biggie is following their passion. I mean, I, that is definitely something I struggle with. Like I'm working with a young girl right now, um, where the, um, you know, they, they actually, they're, they're in Texas. So they're not even near, they're, they're cross country for me. And, uh, you know, their daughter is an amazing, amazing artist, like just incredibly artistic, but she's not a student. And, uh, you know, they're pushing her to go to college and she, you know, she's really scared to go and she keeps making bad choices and bad decisions. And I think she's trying to self-sabotage uh. the situation because I don't think she wants to go to college. And, you know, I said, why don't, why don't you let her take a gap year? Let her, let her get a job. Let her maybe do something in the field where she can use her artistic talent and she can always go back to school, but let her, let her take the time to find it. Cause I th- I don't think she's ready. I think this is what's going on. She's, she's really self. That's why she's not sending in the applications. That's why she, you know, and it turned out um, that they, they finally agreed, but I mean, it, it, they were really like pushing, pushing, pushing. And I'm like, if you push this child to do something she doesn't want to do, she's going to do it. She's not going to be happy. She's going to resent it. And you know, that's going to impact your relationship. Let her, let her take that year off. And they did. And she ended up getting a job as a graphic designer. Uh, for company. She loves it. She's not sure. She still hasn't decided if she wants to go back to school, but she's making money and she's loving what she's doing. She's following her passion. And I'm like that she might end up opening up her own business and being extremely successful because you let her take this route. If you would have forced her to go to school right now and here and then who knows what would have happened. She might never have had this opportunity. So it's that's, and I get it as a parent, like we stress and we want what's best for our kids, but sometimes our own emotions or our own fears get in the way and we put our own anxiety in our kids and then you know, we start kind of telling them what decisions to make because of our own anxiety instead of just taking a chance and recognizing, let them do what they need to do because they're going to be so much more successful on their own if we just let them kind of fly and do what they need to do. Uh, that's a great point. That's a great point. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's one of those things that you've got to really be coming in contact with is, you know, it's uh, my oldest just got married and recently and, and uh, one of the things that the priest made note of is that, uh, you know, this is really about you going off on your own and that you're making that next step as opposed to, you know, it's not so much them giving you up. It's them. It's time for and he was looking at parents basically saying, you know, it's time for them to move on with their life. And uh, and you get to be part of that. But you got to let them make those decisions. And, it, you know, a big part of lots of what we do is, you know, once you become a parent, it's it's hard to explain to somebody except that if you are really involved with your kids, you start discovering that every time there's something new that they can get involved in, grow up, they start, uh, you know, leaving some of the the things behind where they don't need you around them. Well, I don't even say it like that, but they, 
they don't need you there as much directing. Instead, you need to be more of a participant as opposed to a, you know, the the guiding, protecting hand, and uh, let them stumble and fall, and and uh, and also make good choices and see what. Yeah, and they need to fail. You know, that's I think that's again like depends where you live, right? But I think a big big issue for sure is you know some of the more you know I would say middle class to upper class neighborhoods, right? A lot of these kids live in a bubble. <laughs> you know, we, we live in that world where, you know, we, I mean, I just saw it today. I mean, I, I, this, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be controversial, but there was just an article today about a girl who's uh, suing a school district because she, she posted some really terrible things because she didn't get a position on the cheerleading squad or something. Wow. And, uh, the ACLU is in there now saying, well, you can't take her freedom of speech because school suspended her from the cheerleading. And, you know, I get all that stuff, the freedom of speech part. And if there's a law there, that's fine. Like, so, you know, if, if that's what you're going after, that's great. But like, if she didn't make it, there's a reason she didn't make it. Right. And, you know, going and going in, you know, trying to, you know, go after people or be angry about it. It's just like, you know, you need to fail to grow. Like, why did you fail? There's a reason you didn't make it. Okay. Think about it. What could you have done differently? Use it as a learning experience to be better next time. Right. So, so I'm not, I'm not necessarily against them going after the school if, if they violated some, you know, amendment you know what is that first amendment right right but but it's um just the but that happens everywhere you know a kid a kid does poorly at something you know and it's the teacher's fault and and you know and then you get those pay like you've watched the goldbergs like I always laugh about that mom she's, yes she's <laughs> i love it i love right? it yes and, and but you know it's it's true and it's like these kids need to they have to fail you know if they don't fail they don't grow and then what happens is they they get out in the real world and it's a shock i mean i remember kids in my school district, we used to go to all the drama shows and the acapella. And my daughter was into all that and she was great. And some of our friends were like the top in the school, you know, and then they went to college and they couldn't even get on the, on the drama, on the drama, into the drama club or onto the acapella group. Right. And it's like, why? Because you were great in your district, but there's hundreds and hundreds of other districts with, you know, the top two or three kids. And when you converge them in the room, all of a sudden you're not the best anymore, you know? And, when you don't learn, when you're always the best and you don't learn how to fail and all of a sudden you fail, it's a big blow to your ego. It's hard to swallow. And uh, I think if we don't teach our kids resiliency and the, the, the beauty of failure and, and how failure to me is just another word for growth. You know, if we don't teach kids that, you know, all of a sudden they fail and boom, that's what happens a lot freshman year, freshman kids in college, you know, that first semester, they are, some of them just, they come back and it's like they just went to war because they just didn't know what, what was going to happen. They know what to expect. And all of a sudden they're independent on their own and, you know, things happen that they never had to deal with before. And mom and dad aren't there to really protect them. That is so true. And so the lessons that are all involved there are just amazing because, you know, if, if they don't get a chance to, to stumble and fall or even to feel the repercussions of if you lash out, you know, there are things that uh, can uh, then come back at you. And, you know, like, you know, you think about as an adult, when if you do something like that, when um, you move on or do whatever, and and you, you know, what my dad used to always call, don't burn your bridges. Right. Um, you know, and, and some of them just lash out and they burn those bridges <laughs> and, and many more things than that. And, and, uh, and they don't realize that now others are looking going, well, shoot, why would I hire that person if they don't, they get mad with me and then they do that. And right. I always say that to kids. I said, think about, think about what you're doing as a job interview, you know, or as a job, like, what would your boss say? You know, like if you're thinking that this is okay to do now, right. Or you think it's okay that your parents are going to 
come ahead and do this? Like, like if you, you know, if you get written up, you, you know, your mom and dad aren't going to be like, why'd you write my son up? You can't do that. That's unfair. I'm going to, you know, get an attorney. Right. I mean, like you, <laughs> you, you don't do that. I mean, it's just like, you don't yeah. get a job. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I always tell kids that I'm like, think about, think about these things and think about how you'd respond if this was a real job, you know, like you, so you failed the test. What if you failed at a project at work? You know, it doesn't mean you're going to get fired. You know, did you ask for help? Did you let them know that you were struggling? You know, most, you know, that's a funny thing. Like, right with work. I mean, most employers, they're vested in your success. They want you to be successful. They want to help you. They hired you for a reason because they believe in you. And if you're struggling, they want to help you succeed. They don't want to see you fail. Just like a teacher doesn't want to see a kid fail, but you have to do the work and you have to ask for the help and you have to let people know where you are so they can be supported. So, you know, it's like a kid struggling in school. If you don't tell the teacher there's stuff going on, maybe you have things going on at home and you can't talk to somebody, you got to let these people in your life that you trust know what's going on so they can support you. Because if you try to get through it on your own, you know, many times you, you're just going to fail. Uh, that's good. Good point. Good point. It's, you know, it, it, it's funny. I had, uh, I, I was, I was a good kid, but I had my attitudes. <laughs> All right. I had my, my things that, you know, push my buttons and things like this and which kind of some of them carried over in adulthood. But, you know, one of the things I'll never forget was the first time, uh, I had, uh, I, I became a second lieutenant in the army in my first unit. Um, they had all kinds of war games going on at the time when I joined them. So they put the brand new second lieutenant in charge of a funeral detail. All right. That was going on. And there's nothing a little more unnerving than, you know, the, and don't get me wrong. I spoke in front of classes and things like this is, you know, going to this military school. We had, they made sure that they put you in front of people to speak and you had required speaking and such, but there's nothing like being in charge of a funeral detail. And it turned out that it was an admiral who'd been in the Navy for, you know, a bazillion years. And uh, um, there's all these people there. And we practice the folding of the flag over and over again. We practice the 21 gun salute over and over again. We practice the way we marched. We practice all of it. And the full flag got folded the wrong way. It happens, right? Yes, it does. What happened? Well, I thought my career was over with because <laughs> it's like, well, that was a short career because I'm looking at these daggers coming at me um, from the very top naval brass that are standing behind the uh, the widow. And uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe this happened. And, you know, she was just very thankful for the flag being presented to her and the yeah. detail and. And, uh, but it just, uh, I'll never, <laughs> I'll never forget that. Cause it's like, could we have practiced it one more time? You know what? And it's like, it just, you know, it's one of those things I was, I'm trying to think I was probably like 22, <laughs> 23, something like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just, you think about how important stuff like that is. So it, even trying to figure out how you make, how could I have paid more attention to detail? How could we have, you know? But, you know, the interesting thing about that story, too, is it's not like when you really think about it, what's the real purpose of what you're doing, right? It's to prevent, it's to present that flag to this. It's the emotional side of it, right? It's the yes. piece of, like, like, that's really what it's about. Like, that woman standing there, I don't think for a second was concerned about how the flag was folded. I think she was probably feeling an incredible amount of emotion just having somebody hand it to her, you know, to honor her husband, right? And that that, you know, sometimes we lose sight of that. Like we lose sight of the big picture, you know, we're so focused on, you know, the, the, we're focused on the flag, but it's not mm-hmm. really about the flag. It's about the experience. Right. Oh, very much so. I mean, she was, I'll never forget look on her face. It was a lot different than the people behind her. <laughs> um, her look was the anguish of losing her husband. 
Yeah. And, uh, um, and she received the flag and she probably didn't even remember what I had looked like or even what happened that day. She remember what you did. She remember, you know, it's like when I go speak, sometimes I could speak to a school, right. And right. I could speak to three, 400 kids, 500 kids. You know, if one kid walks out of there and comes up to me and after and says, that was so meaningful. Thank you. That's fine. I don't need to, t- I mean, I would love to touch 500 kids, but if I only touch one, that's okay, right? It doesn't matter what the other 499 think. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter what all those sergeants and all those top brass think. If the woman you just gave that flag to it has the emotional connection and you did what you needed to do for her, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the other people think. Right. That's it's good stuff. The, uh, I, I could have used you there then. <laughs> I would have been cheering you from the audience. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, Steve here. And my podcast, Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, is hosted on Podbean. If you use my affiliate link when you sign up for podcast hosting, you will get one month free. I've been on Podbean for the whole existence of my podcast since November of 2013. In that time frame, I've had nonstop service. I've had easy access to assistance when I needed help. I've been able to upload unlimited pictures and podcast episodes. The dashboard is easy to use. My Podbean community has grown tremendously. Looking at starting a podcast? Well, use my affiliate link to get one month free of hosting. Go to my website at stephenmaletto.com slash sponsors and click on the Podbean hosting link to see what plans are offered and choose the one that you like the best. You'll be glad you did. You know, one of the things that uh, um, it, I just got, I got to say, because the life lessons, by the way, this is where I was going with that story is that, you know, there's nobody there to <laughs> protect me from that flag coming up. Because, you know, when you start seeing red, no blue, it's like, oh, guys, come on. What did you do? And, uh, um, and you know, there's any number of other experiences that you, ha- that I can talk about in my young age because I moved away and, uh, there's nobody there to say, you know, and in those days, no cell phones couldn't eat, or text. <laughs> it's like, save me from myself, please. So, but I, I just think that, uh, yeah, that would, it, it'd be interesting in the world that you, you have and working with kids to get them to understand. I mean, one of my favorite leadership gurus is a man named John Maxwell and he has a book called failing forward. And uh, that that book's pretty interesting around that same pattern, which is the idea of, you know, we make mistakes and you got to learn from them so you don't make it again. John <laughs> yeah, Maxwell's great. Good stuff. So uh, so let's talk about some of the, the stuff that you do. I mean, you have like, uh, uh, what happens, you have some, let, let's start with one-on-one coaching. So what, what goes on in your one-on-one coaching? So one-on-one coaching is normally, you know, if somebody's contacting me, th- there's a specific thing going on. You know, my child's struggling with, this or struggling with that. You know, it's not, it's not a generic, you know, Hey, my son's doing really well. I just want them to have really good strategies to get through life. It's usually, you know, they're struggling in school, they're being bullied, you know, they struggle with self-confidence, they struggle with organizational skills. You know, it's usually a a specific thing um, that they want to work on. So, you know, one-on-one coaching is really, that's me having a conversation with the parent, finding out what's going on, what made them reach out to me and how I could support them. And uh, nine times out of 10, that's, that's usually driven by the teen. Like, you know, I'm not looking to do a workshop. I'm not looking to do this. I want to talk about this. You know, they have a particular topic they want to cover and, you know, so I'll work with, I'll work them through that and help them, you know, get done what they need to do, whatever their goal is for coming to me. Very cool. What's, what's normally, what's the session like? I mean, how long? Uh, usually an hour. And I, you know, I usually recommend six sessions cause I feel like it takes about six, se- it usually takes about six sessions to really get some significant progress you know, some kids do it in less, some kids want more. You know, I have one kid who I've worked with for a very long time. And, you know, I always tell the parent, you know, they don't need to see me every week. And it's like, no, but you don't understand. Like you keep them grounded. Like I'd rather pay to have them see you every week because I know you're keeping them on track and that's fine. But, you know, I really try to make 
progress quickly, you know, so these kids can get out there and do what they want to do. And like, you know, like I said, once in a while you get those kids who you just really connect with and the parents just feel really comfortable that, you know, I'm giving them these reminders every week and I'm checking in with them every week or every other week. And so I do have some kids that are more long-term, but usually if it's a specific, specific issue, you know, usually six sessions and we're, we're good. I can usually get them where they need to go. Very cool. Very cool. The, uh, uh, now you had some cool different, uh, products or different, uh, activities that you, uh, that you have for, uh, um, children and, uh, those, um, those teens to work with you in. And, uh, one of them being a former high school, school, uh, teacher and principal, uh, really strikes home. Um, I love the title of it. Uh, so tell us what school survival boot camp is all about. <laughs> uh, so school, so school survival boot camp. I have to be transparent. So I, I do a lot of executive functioning coaching on my own, but I've also partnered with, uh, Leslie Josel. She has a company called order out of chaos ah. and she's actually a organizational coach. Like that's her thing. That's all she does. So school survival boot camp is basically a it's a boot camp to teach kids study habits, note-taking skills, organizational skills, really executive functioning, how to get their executive functioning under control. Um, so I'm, I'm a certified coach for her. So like when somebody signs up, you know, depending on, you know, there's a few of us, but they, she doesn't have any male coaches. It's all female. So she's like, I need a male coach. I need somebody that I need a guy. So I'm kind of the guy coach. So, you know, it's really focused on executive functioning and it's not a specific workshop. We have different modules that we cover. But again, that depends on the kid. Like you might have a kid who's just like, they procrastinate and they literally need to spend time just focusing on how not to procrastinate. I'll work on that. You know, then I have some kids who are in college and they just, they don't know how to take notes. They don't know how to use that lecture to their advantage, you know? So it's teaching them really study skills, organizational skills, all the executive functioning skills, uh, especially kids with ADHD, so many different strategies. You know, we actually do a profile and figure out what their habits are, how they learn so we can tailor it to fit their exact needs, like what's gonna work for them. Because like I said, if you, some kids just, they can't do homework sitting at a desk. They need to be sitting at the kitchen table or they need to be on the couch or they need to be laying down in their bedroom. You know, a lot, no, you can't do your homework on the bed. No, let them, because if that's their place and that's their safe space and they're gonna stay focused and able to get it done, let them do it. So that that's really what School Survival Bootcamp is. It's really an executive functioning workshop, but it it's a little more, uh, loose in terms of like what we cover because some kids are really good study habits, but terrible at taking notes. Some kids are just disorganized, but once they're organized, they have great study habits. So it just depends on the kids needs, but it's great. It's actually a really, really cool program. That's awesome. I, I love that. And it's, it's definitely something that a lot of kids could take to could benefit from. And uh, like you mentioned, I mean, it goes beyond that. I mean, when we get to college. I mean, one of the worst, worst problems in college um, that I ran into was, uh, wait a second. I have the class not every day. I have it every other day. Therefore, my homework is not due until, and I had to get control of that thought in my brain. Nope, get it done at the end of that class. Go do it now. Don't wait, don't wait. But Yeah, well, that's the thing. High school, I mean, you know, we spoon feed the information. I mean, I feel like when you start getting up there, 11th, 12th grade, the you know, the good teachers try really hard to start to teach them development skills and how to take, you know, but, but we still kind of have study guides. We still give them the information and then they go to college and it's like, there's no study guide. Like you're not even going to get a lecture on the book. You're going to get the textbook. They're going to tell you they're covering the first three chapters and they're just going to talk about what they want. And you need to read the other, all the chapters and take the notes yourself. Like they're not like, what? So like, you're right. They, I only have this class two hours a week. Yeah. But you should be spending like six hours a week right. side of the class, just on that class. Like teaching them that is like a key skill. That's, that's why that freshman, you know, we always talk about that freshman, a lot of really smart kids struggle their freshman 
for a semester of freshman year because it's a complete 360 from what they're used to. Yeah, it's it is, and that's a, it's a funny thing. I mean, one of my favorite uh, memories from you know when you're a history major, you get to know who the other history majors are, and it's usually not uh, <laughs> it's not a giant group. And uh, um, I remember uh, in a uh, I'm up in the this is I'm close to graduating, so when somebody new shows up, that means they moved in <laughs> or something like that. And I'll never forget this person in this class. We have this this great. Uh, lecture going on and he's doing his thing and he had this way of talking where you wanted to finish his sentences right and he'd, he'd say stuff like this he kind of it was very formal the way he'd talk and respond and and uh so this new student's in there and uh he's going on and he was somebody who he's talking a mile a second and he's writing stuff and you're writing down his notes and doing different things and and uh this new student raises her hand and he he's kind of raises his eyebrow and looks and he says yes <laughs> she says she says do we have to take notes <laughs> and he 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 looks at her and he gets this kind of funny smile and then he goes back to talking and just totally ignores her <laughs> and and what was funny is it turned out that she was a freshman in the wrong end of the building <laughs> and she found that out later she was supposed to be a few doors down <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was like, do we have to take notes? And everyone else was like, oh, that was disappointing because obviously not a history major <laughs> and definitely in the wrong place because this guy, I still got my notes, man. <laughs> I've never thrown those things away. We, you know, good stuff. But, uh, it, you know, another one of my favorites is someone I, who I think you partner with in this one, too. Um, it's called O-Shift Teen Workshop. Uh, what's this one all about? And can you so talk about that? O-Shift is, so Jen Powers wrote the workshop. I'm, a, I'm, I'm like, the, I'm, I'm a licensed facilitator. She was also my coach. She trained me. Oh, cool. So O-Shift is, it's a six-week workshop. Uh, you know, week one focuses on self-awareness, teaching kids how to be aware of what's working, what's not working for them. Week two works on the power of words, their internal and their external dialogue, you know, what they say to themselves and how that manifests into the reality and just how they speak to others and what you attract back. You know, if you're going to be always the negative person, you're going to have negative people in your life. So really the power of words and the impact they have. Uh, one week is on being in flow versus being in resistance, you know, more about acceptance and just like life happens. It doesn't happen to you. It just happens. And it's how you respond to it that really is going to define how you deal with it. Um, I do one week on change, obstacles to change, why we don't change, speak a little bit about the comfort zone and, you know, what it feels like to step outside of that. I do a week on reactions and assumptions, which is what I had alluded to earlier about, like, you know, just asking questions, you know, not, not making assumptions about people's actions or words. There's, there's something behind that. If you're not sure, get clarity, you know, and the, the power in that. And then lastly, like just the power in taking personal responsibility for your own actions, you know, like not playing the victim, you know, but playing the victor and, you know, understanding that every choice you make you know, leads to something. And, and again, it goes back to failure. You might, you might make a choice and you might want to blame the other person, but at the end of the day, like this needed to happen for you to learn this lesson. So, you know, you are kind of responsible. So that's really the pillars of that workshop. And, uh, and then I have my own 10 week workshop, which uh, I, you know, it's very similar to O shift. I think my, my, it's a little deeper. I go a lot, lot deeper and a lot more intense with some of those uh, areas, but then I also added in a, a, an executive functioning piece I added in um, how to communicate with your parents, you know, basically how to get what you want from your parents, like how to, you know, like needs versus wants and how to, how to, how to have a conversation with them to let them know your, your need or your want. So they'll be more apt to give it to you, you know, versus just demanding it. Um, I do one week on social media and the impact, the negative impact on social media and how, you know, you really need to understand 
how it works and what's going on behind the scenes to get you to go online and all the dopamine hits and how it impacts our mental health and our ability to communicate. I mean, like you actually have studies now where kids have like neck problems because they're looking down more than they're looking up. There's actually, I, I saw a medical study on that about a month and a half ago. I couldn't believe it. Um, and then I do a week on diversity and acceptance, you know, racial, religious, and uh, gender diversity and, you know, acceptance of others and understanding differing viewpoints and, you know, learning to come together and respect each other for our differences as opposed to looking at them as differences. Very cool. Very cool. Good, good stuff. I, I got to ask this. So what's something that you've learned from working with clients that encourage you to keep going at power shift coaching? I mean, what's, what's that thing that kind of sticks out? You know, just honestly, well, the kids stay in touch, which is great. Like a lot of the kids I work, like I see where they're going, you know, I just see what they do. Like, like I, I actually serve on the junior board. I, I serve on a board for not-for-profit and I run the junior board and I have all these kids that are like literally running their own activities and fundraising for this organization. So, and now they're taking some of these kids graduating and they want to start college chapters, you know? So like for me, that's amazing. Cause I'm like, this is, I just love watching these kids take what I teach them and go out there and make an impact, but they're, they're impacting other teens. And really like, you know, they always say, right? Like you can't, you can't change the world. You, yeah, I can't change the whole world, but you know what? If I can change if everybody I do help change, if they go out there and help somebody else change, that's, that's how you hit critical mass. That's how you make a difference. And that's, that's how you make impact. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I love, so I just, I always feel good because I see these kids succeed and I see them, I see the light bulbs go off and I see them go, Oh my God, like I never realized this. And all of a sudden they're on a different playing field. You know, it's, it's, you know, you have to talk about it. I'm not too into the metaphysical stuff, but people talk about vibration, right? Like there's the middle level of vibration and then there's the people on a higher frequency and the people on lower frequency, right? Like I'm just trying to get these kids to go a little higher on the frequency because not a lot of teens are there and you get them to start going there. And that's amazing what that will do just for the world in general. That's cool. Good stuff. I, you know, and, and you're right. Do a lot for the world and <laughs> do a lot. Um, let, let's talk about uh, if you had a chance to talk to an audience of ninth graders who are getting ready to start the fall 21, 22 school year, so we're talking the next phase after this do-over phase that we just did this, this last year, right? Uh, you know, what would you want them to remember from your talk about going to high school? You mean going into high school? Yes, yes, they're going into high school. Yeah, uh, you know, two things I think that is so important. The first thing is, and, you know, I, I know this is a, a podcast for educators, but it's the truth. I mean, it, really respecting, understanding just what these teachers did last year for, you know, how hard it is to teach online and how hard it is to engage. So like when you go back to school and now you're in the classroom and that teacher standing in front of you, like to really, really respect that person for what they did, because the, what they had to do to try to get that information and teach you in the environment, because they didn't know how to do it either. You know, they, most of these teachers, right. We're, these are kids, you know, we're older where social media is not, or, or, you know, zoom and not, not every, not everybody's so tech savvy. And, you know, I think it's amazing what educators were able to do for this past year and how they were able to deliver an education in such a crazy, you know, un abnormal format, you know, um, I think really just having respect for them and recognizing like, you know, like th these are, these are people that like, look what they did to make sure you got what you needed. They could have given up to and been like, well, this is stupid. I'm not going to, you know, how are they going to learn? But they didn't, you know? And so that's the first thing. And the other thing I think is friendships, your relationships, you know, like granted, you know, people talk online or people talk, you know, through text, but there's something about human connection. You can never replace human connection. And I think that going back to school, and seeing your friends in the hallway and being able to sit next to them or stand next to them at the locker or whatever, like 
just recognizing the value of human connection and recognizing the value of these friendships and just knowing that, you know, don't, don't take people for granted because, you know, for a year, these people weren't in your life. They were there, but you couldn't really see them, couldn't really talk to them. So like, you know, now you have them, they're around, you know, and they're there to support you, they're there to support each other and to really cherish, cherish those friendships and those personal connections. I think that for me, those are two big lessons I would take from this. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, uh, Keith, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? I mean, I'm all over social media. I'm on Instagram as coach Keith S because coach Keith was taken. Uh, <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn as Keith Senzer. I'm on Facebook. I have power shift coaching on Facebook. My website is shiftyourpower.com. And you know, there's, there's a, uh, there's a place to, you know, sign up for consultation or if they want to be on my, I send out content a couple of times a week. So I have like, I don't want to say it's a newsletter, more like a, a mailing list where I'll, I'll send out my content, my videos and, uh, but I'm pretty easy to reach and, uh, you know, I'm happy to serve. I mean, really my, like I said, ultimately I'm hoping to make this a non-for-profit and, you know, bring this to the kids that don't, that don't get the opportunity to have this information and really, really to start, you know, digging deep and making an impact in areas, you know, across country and eventually in the world. So I know, no, it's a lofty goal, but you know, if I don't have the goal, then I have nothing to work towards. So there you go. There you go. I love it. And I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes so that people can go there to find uh, how to connect with you. So uh, good stuff. And, and uh, if I want to do a plug, I just want to give a plug that you have a YouTube channel there too. That's pretty cool. So uh, um, they need to go visit your YouTube channel. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I totally forgot to say thank you. I forgot about the YouTube channel. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. I'll give it a little plug there. We got, uh, so last two questions I got, Keith, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Uh, I, you know what? That thought never crossed my mind. I just quitting has never been, I, that's my whole life. I mean, I've never been a quitter. I just, I start something, I go for it. So that's never, but, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, sadly, because of COVID, you know, I, I've actually thrived, you know, it's, it, there's so much going on. So many kids are dealing with depression or isolation that, you know, my business has actually done better because there's so many more kids that, that need this, you know, and, uh, and I've also been able to do some, some workshops at, you know, local, like, like local synagogues or, or churches, you know, for, for teens, I've done some free stuff just to, you know, help where I can. And, uh, so no, I've never quit and I, I never will. It's like, that's not, that just, that word's not even in my vocabulary. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you? You know, it, I really had to think about that question. And I tell you the reason why, and it, it's not a bad thing, but I never really had, you know, I think I was very misunderstood, you know, and unfortunately, like, I'll never forget. I had a teacher in first grade. We were doing, I'll never forget. I mean, this must've been traumatic for me because I actually remember this where you we were counting by tens and I couldn't get it. And I remember her pinching my chin hmm. and like turning my face towards her and like yelling in my face. Cause I wasn't getting it, you know, and that like, that's what I remember. You know, I, I never, I don't think I had necessarily had bad teachers. I just, most of my teachers were, were great. It's just, I think because of my ADHD and because it was not such a prevalent thing when I was growing up. And I think a lot of educators didn't really have enough information. You know, like I wasn't the bad kid. Like there's those kids, those kids that were really troublemakers. <laughs> right. They were just kids with ADHD. They really weren't bad kids. Right. I wasn't even that kid. I was kind of the shy, quiet kid without the, who just couldn't focus. But I think because I wasn't performing, you know, it's like I got progress reports sent home. Like that's what I remember. So I, I don't really have that one teacher that ever really resonated with me. I, I just, I don't, you know, I wish, 
I wish I could say I did because I love to have that story, um, but I don't. But I will tell you that it made me a lot more super aware with my kids. And my son and my daughter had the most amazing teachers who like understood them and got their anxiety and got their ADHD and were just amazing. So like I have so many of them that I'm grateful for that my kids, you know, were able to work with throughout their educational careers because uh, they made a huge, huge difference in their lives. But yeah, I just, I never had one, but I don't think it's that they weren't good teachers. I think it was just, I, I, I fell under the radar, you know, nobody, I didn't, I, you know what? I didn't stand out enough either way. I think for a teacher to see that in me, gotcha. you know, I was kind of, I really flew under the radar. I think if I was misbehaved, maybe I would have had a, a teacher reach out a little more, but I really wasn't. I was a good kid. I was just quiet and shy. That's, and just a note, I'm, I'm glad for your kids because that's, you know, and I'm sad for you because it's uh, one of the things I learned as a principal is that um, every kid should have that adult that somehow they connect with in the building. And uh, because that, that person's who's going to help them, you know, a lot of times overcome just whatever stress or some issue or somebody that they can, they know at least knows who they are, knows their name, knows a little bit about them. And uh, there's that connection. And that's something that, uh, it's if it doesn't happen, then it's it, it's un, it's very unfortunate because it's sad because that that creates a little that that, that safety in the storm the you know, just any number of things that it does for a, for a kid to help them get through or to help them answer their the questions they have that they won't go to the house and ask. Yeah, no, I would agree. I agree. I mean, it turned out okay, so thank God. But you know, <laughs> when you asked me that question, I was like. I wish I had something like I feel terrible not having anybody because I have such respect for the field, you know, especially my wifeing in it. My, my daughter's in law school to be an education attorney. Oh, wow. She wants to have kids with special needs, make sure that they get what they need immediately. So my family's so involved in, in, you know, in education. And I just, I really was like, I, I don't have anybody. I just, I only, I remember this one lady pinching my chin. That's like my memory, you know, wow. so it must've been pretty traumatic. And I mean, I was literally, <laughs> I was in first grade. I was like six or seven years old, you know, but I remember that. I remember my father coming down to the school. Like, I think he was like threatening this woman with her life. I mean, it was like really bad. Wow. Hey, is it? Well, that might've might completely overshadowed any of the, <laughs> any of the good, you know, like I definitely had some great teachers, but just I, nothing, nothing that would resonate that I could be like, I remember that this happened. I just, I don't, I just don't have those stories. I wish I did. Gotcha. They, uh, would, well, Keith, I'm sorry about that, but the uh, good thing is your kids were served, right? And, uh, which yes. is really good. So good stuff. And, and Keith, I can't thank you enough for talking with me today. Power shift coaching is an amazing focus. I thank you for helping others and, uh, and, uh, and keeping that path. I wish you the very best in all you do. I really thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Teaching learning leading K-12 is excited to be a member of voice ed radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.